You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Circling Seattle Sports on Converge Media. We are about well, know, getting through November here. Uh, getting through the year. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> point. Um, and, you know, with the two teams that are actively playing for us, not the best weeks for them, but sure, a heck of a lot of news. Because of that fact, and with the Mariners section being pretty hefty, you know, despite them being in the offseason, things continue for them. You know, we talk about the most complete coverage in the city of all our sports teams. I, I mean it. That's why, you know, that's factors into that. So uh, we'll, we'll kind of transfer them towards the end of the show uh, so that we can get through the, the rest of our stuff here. Um, beginning with our Seahawks over in Munich, Germany, it was an early start time. Uh, goodness. And it felt like an early start time in the first mm-hmm. half for them. But let's get right into our Seahawks segment. Bell, and take yeah. a look at that tough loss to Tampa Bay, who, you know, if they end up going through the rest of this year and they're firing on cylinders, I'll feel a little bit less bad mm-hmm. about this. But just. You came out flat in the first half. So let's look to uh, that game in Munich, Germany. Yeah. Like you said, unfortunately, that was a loss. Um, The Seahawks came up short. They lost 21 to 16. They did have a second half effort there. Um, I unfortunately did not make it to wake up at 630. So I caught the second half of the game, but I'll go ahead and send it back over to you to ask what you saw in that first half and what kind of went wrong. Yeah. I mean, so a few things that, you know, you come into this game that had been like mainstays for these two teams throughout the uh, main, mainly the first half of the season. You know, Tampa Bay had been historically bad at running the football, 32nd in the league in yards per game. Yeah. And they crushed that like through the first half. <laughs> Leonard Fournette and I think it's Rashad Wright. Rashad White. Mm-hmm. Rashad White, yeah. Um, I think Rashad White eventually did leave with an injury, but Leonard Fournette uh, – Munich Lenny was able to do his thing on the ground and kind of set up Tom Brady and their offense uh, to find Julio Jones for a touchdown in the first half. Uh, so, yeah, being able to, as like I said it pretty early on in the game, I said, if you're able to hold them to a, their poor run game, you know, you should be able to be able to minimize what Tom Brady is able to do. And they were able to run the ball on you after this defense you know, for the last few weeks has really looked improved and they just could not stop the run. It was really uh, disappointing to see that. And then the offensive side of the ball, you know, we talk about Geno Smith, how efficient he's been, how much of a pocket presence he's had. It just wasn't, wasn't there. there. You know, Kenneth Walker wasn't able to get anything going in the first uh, first half. And really in general, I mean, if we looked at his numbers in the box score, it was pretty poor. DK had a couple nice long receptions, but that's like, that's what it felt like all you had um, in the first half. And I believe it was in the first half. He got the unsportsmanlike conduct penalty uh, that pushed the Seahawks back from a standard, uh, like a 40 yarder uh, field goal to a 55. Jason Meyer still made it, but it was interesting. You know, I, I, I try, I tend to lean on the, uh, to the side of the players with stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, it's the, uh, like the DJ Moore catch uh, that he had against the Falcons where he took his helmet off and he's celebrating a big catch. That's a big moment. Yeah. It's a big, it's a big play, you know? Um, 
but it was interesting because I guess DK said something and he pointed at the ref. And by rule, by what the referees were saying is if once you make it personal towards the ref, it becomes a flag. So I don't know. I just think that was kind of odd. I mean, it didn't end up hurting them in the long run because they got the three points there regardless. Uh, but first half just looked like your offense, which had been, you know, has been pretty darn good for most of the season, fell flat on their face in the first half. And the defense wasn't able to stop the run. So it was like you were you guys left in the hotel. <laughs> yeah, it was that was a tough first half. Uh, like you said, they did find a way to come up late. Tyler Lockett had a touchdown. Marquise Goodwin had a touchdown. Um, but yeah, it was that first half kinds of doom, kind of dooms you. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, this they said this after the game, and I felt like the wee hours of the morning. But I had been up since five anyway, so that was, you know, my my perception was changed. Um, that this team technically is still uh, overperforming. Yeah. Right. So I'm not mad at it. You know, this Tampa Bay team, it still has a ton of talent. Uh, Chris Godwin is still getting back to his full self. Mike Evans is still Mike Evans. Tom Brady's seeming to find some sort of rhythm. Mm -hmm. Their defense has a ton of talent. Vita Vea. uh, Oh, shoot. What's his name? Uh, 45 on their defense. I know they have Levante David still. Devin White. They got a ton of talent on that defense as well. So, I mean, it's a good team, you know, just after what, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had shown throughout the most part of the season, you kind of figure how we've been going, Hey, we should be able to win this one. And just the way you started was really poor, just really poor. So it was tough to wake up at five in the morning, try to get my bearings and then watch that at six thirty Cause it was like this uh, yeah. first half was bad. Second half started to play a little bit better. Tariq Wollin had a pick. We'll get to that, Yeah, but yeah, just a tough one. But now you go into the bye week try to recenter yourself. Um, for for Las Vegas. I almost had Oakland. I mean, maybe you got that loss out of the way. You were on a streak there. You won a few games. So it felt like maybe it was coming. And of course, we didn't want it to come. Um, and we sure didn't want to lose a game in Germany where there were several Seahawks fans. So um, unfortunate. But we'll get to our players of the game here. For offensive, I went with Geno Smith, who really shrug off that um, bad first half, uh, went 23 for 33, 275 yards, those two touchdowns um, to lock it in Goodwin and 22 rushing yards for himself. So yeah, the first half was pretty bad. I mean, even in the second half, there was an unfortunate moment where he lost a fumble, but it yeah. really looked like he looked more like how he's been playing the season in the uh, second, in half, second half. Yeah. And I'm not worried about him. There was the report that came out earlier excuse me, in that morning that the Seahawks uh, do want to extend him. And mm-hmm. we'll get to that in team news. And there, I got a few comments, you know, when we post news like that, sure enough, there'll be comments. We're like, Oh, not after this. I'm like, it's, it was one half. One bad. I'm not yeah. worried about it. You know? And I don't know. I'm, I'm I will talk about it when we get to team news. That's, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I could have gone with Gino as well because nobody else stuck out too yeah. far. I went with DK just because of those, First few catches he had, it's really like, all right, you're able to, you're getting the ball to DK. Um, and we'll like to see more, but still not a bad uh, stat line at six receptions, 71 yards. Uh, there were several plays where he got the ball in space and he just ran right at a defender. Oh, yeah. That's who he is, you know? So I'd like to see that more going forward, uh, seeing more of that balance offense, being able to get the ball to a guy like Ken Walker, while also being able to look at your receiving core 
like DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Marquise Goodwin's been able to produce. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and then your tight ends. Uh, so, yeah, I don't blame you at all going for Gino. And the defensive side of the ball, mentioned his name earlier, uh, was wondering <laughs> if he'd get another pick, wonder if he'd get off, one off Brady. Wasn't Brady, but Brady was involved in the play. I'm sure you saw it. I feel like it might have been even sweeter the way it happened for <laughs> Tariq Woolen. So, I, yes, that's my defensive player of the game this week again. <laughs> um, he did have that interception on Leonard, Leonard Fournette's pass to Tom Brady. Uh, they were trying to do a trick play there, didn't go as planned. Brady kind of trips, and you know, the ball ends up in Tariq Woolen's hands. So that was just an odd play <laughs> to, to comment. Well, I, they, they kept showing that replay for like five minutes in the game afterwards. And I was like, all right, I've seen it, you know, but he made a large divot where he had slipped. And to comment on that, you know, uh, there was discussion about the field for this because Bayern Munich plays there. They're a, a, a football team, football, not American mm-hmm. football. Um, and there had been all this talk about prepping the field for the game, you know, because obviously it's different. Uh, you don't see guys like offensive linemen playing in soccer. It's not, you know, it's, there's more, it's different, different kind of cleats, different kind of movement on that field. And the NFL has had to foot the bill to repair the uh, field there in, no in, way. in Byron uh, because of how they left it. And uh, Bruce Irvin made a comment. He was, uh, he basically called it a bad field. Uh, he used different words, but I'll call it a bad field. <laughs> uh, there were a bunch of comments about it from the players. Tyler Ott, the long snapper, made a comment. Just interesting. You know, I'm not, there's no blaming the play on it here, but it's just like, oof. You know, you want to be able to talk about player safety. Um, and this, well, there's been some talk too about player safety with turf. I think we'll talk there about it. There has been, news. yeah. But it was just interesting to see that, that the NFL has to like, Hey, sorry. We here's the sorry we deposit. ruined your field. Yeah. yeah so, <laughs> interesting to see that, but you've got a stat here to go back to it on yes. Tariq about his interceptions, and that's pretty solid list to be on. He now has five this season and ties Earl Thomas and Michael Bulwer for the most by a rookie in franchise history. So, continues to add to his accolades for the year, and yeah, I just don't see any slowing down from him. So, expect him to be. On this list. <laughs> Someone. Yeah, I mean, and it, it's not like any fault to you for picking him either, just because of the success that he's had. Uh, you know, I know that a few lists have gone out uh, with, it feels weird with midseason because we used to have 16 games and you could say eight weeks in. Now it's the 17 and you have to pick. It's, I don't like it. Um, but they had, the NFL had himself and Ken Walker in the top 10. And it's hard to disagree with yeah. that. You know, it's really hard to disagree with that. And it's just, Again, this was a guy that was mostly considered a project for the Seahawks when he was taken in the draft and through training camp to an extent, and he continues to perform. Uh, I went with what I would go call the safe pick. Uh, Jordan Brooks continues to rack up tackles, 14 total, 11 solo, one tackle for loss, one pass deflection. The pass deflection kind of should have been an interception. Brady threw it right at him, but Brooks was more in the kind of bad yeah. out. Um which is fine, but it's, it's nice to see that he continues to rack up tackles. He's in the top five in the NFL consistently for uh, total tackles. So it's tough not having Bobby Wagner, but uh, and that's a whole different discussion. But it's incredible to think that, you know, I know last year, uh, both of those guys, it's like Bobby and Jordan were both like racing each other to be the NFL tackle leader. Um, and Jordan only overtook him because Bobby got injured in that game against Chicago, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so he, he continues to produce, you know, I, I know that 
I've seen comments like they want to see, I think they want to see more flashy plays, maybe interception, big hit. But uh, if you can continue to produce, I'll, I'll take it. I'll absolutely take it. Even Cody Barton made an impact. And he, I know I've been tough on, tough on him. He got an interception on his birthday. So good for him, you know, but yeah, I went with what I would consider the safe pick because I didn't want to copy and go with. Tariq, so. <laughs> some would say that Tariq is the safe pick. So <laughs> we'll move on to some injury news here. Um, inactives against the Buccaneers were Jake Curran, Tony Jones Jr., Brian Moan, LJ Collier, and Tease Tabor. And injuries against the Buccaneers in the second quarter, wide receiver D. Eskridge was listed as questionable to return with a hand injury. It's not a broken hand, so not terrible news. <laughs> Big it's just side. tough with him. You know, because I know that we've talked about it. I've talked about it for weeks now. Wanting, to, wanting see to see more production. And, you know, they've put him on uh, kickoffs and I believe punts sometimes. Just still hasn't been able to make a splash play. Hasn't been able to really show what the team drafted him for so high. I say so high as a second rounder. But still, you know, uh, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, where did so-and-so get drafted? And you look at that draft and like, Seattle took him over, you know, they could look at some of the guys that were below him in the list. And that's, that's on scouting. That's on what they see, but it's, it's tough because it's to an extent, it's like what we had with Rashad Penny for a while. We right. didn't, it was like, all right, you've maybe shown even Rashad shown bits and pieces. I haven't seen much from Eskridge at all, you know? So it's like, when are we going to get that? And, you know, I know he's still on this rookie deal, but it's like that when, when these decisions come up, whether it's in the camp or whether it's in the heading into free agency, you know, whether to pick up an option to talk, bring put a, put an offer on the table. It's like some, some of this stuff where you're not able to make an injury. You're not able to be available. I mean, not able to make a player, not able to be able to be available. It's tough. It makes my decision easier. Yeah. You know, or it should, but uh, obviously I'd like to see him in better health because obviously then if he's in better health, he can perform better <laughs> yeah, or perform at all. <laughs> um, also your defensive player of the game, Jordan Brooks dealt with some cramps during the game. So don't need to lose a linebacker. <laughs> we'll move on to uh, some team notes as that covers the injury news here on the ninth uh, GM, John Schneider was nominated for a 2022 salute to service award. Schneider was nominated by the Seahawks for his continued dedication to the local military community. This includes throughout the year. Schneider also supports the team's year round commitment to the military community. That includes inviting over 700 military service members to Seahawks home games, veteran support through our task force, 12 nonprofit organizations and unique opportunities for the entire military family. So way to support those who have served on the 13th. As you have teased, it was reported that the Seahawks will work with Gino to keep him past the season. So I'm not sure how how much that was expected, but Seattle is expected to keep the QB as its starter into the future with a long term contract offer this offseason. Now, when you hear long term and if I'm putting you in, we talked about John Schneider, John Schneider's shoes year wise. I'm not asking you money wise because that's his own thing. But year wise, what are you? I'm, if, if it's, it's interesting to use the term long term because what does that mean right because you know it's not exactly young he's not exactly old right um it's kind of like you're in this middle area and i'm i'm thinking uh three years if you're talking long That's, yeah because if i was gonna say two to three but two's more short term i'd say three to four yeah so yeah I, I know that now well the prove me wrong and and didn't take malik willis with that pick where they took ken walker 
but I know that this upcoming draft is one that's pretty heavy with QBs. So maybe as opposed to going one with one in the higher rounds, maybe go with one in the lower rounds, you know, not to stay, to say bias in a house. I'm really interested to see where Michael Penix ends up on draft boards, mm-hmm. but it just seems like now with that sort of comment and the way that Geno's been playing and the trust that this team has in Geno Smith, that the idea of a quarterback in any of the higher rounds is kind of off the table. If it had even been on the table, right? because again, this is where we were like, Oh, they're starting Gino. I remember we talked about that when the decision was made. Um, I had my cold take. We got over that. Um, and it just seems like that's never necessarily been on the table for Seattle. So I'm just interested to see what this means. Cause to this point though, this is something that a lot of people talk about with Tom Brady, since we played the Buccaneers this past week, quarterbacks getting contracts that maybe price you out uh, salary cap wise of certain free agents, right. Or extensions for your other players, mm-hmm. you know? So I am interested to see what that looks like money wise, how they're able to spread that around and over how many years, you know, this long term is a very interesting comment for me. So yeah. I agree. You can chime in and let us know what you think long term means too. Cause yeah, it, like we said, three to three to four is what I thought, but even then, is that really that long? <laughs> um, we'll move on to some league news here on the seventh, the Colts fired their head coach, Frank Reich, t- the team consultant and former multi-pro bowl center, Jeff Saturday was named the interim head coach. So he did step in for Sunday's game. Um, he was also an ESPN analyst and had to leave the Monday recorded recording because he was named head coach. It looks like things went well for them because they did end up victorious over the Raiders yesterday. So, yeah, it's a really, I don't know. What do you think about it? Cause the guy was an analyst <laughs> on, I think it was good morning football or so, no, it was on ESPN's show. And I think he had uh, coaching experience in high school. He was a consultant with the Colts for the last like five years, I believe. And, you know, I know that he left the show recording, but he had to have been talked about this at some point before you'd think, right? Because there's no way. Hey, Jeff, I know you're all you're doing a show today, (laughs) but we want to name you the interim head coach. Yeah, that's there's no way. (laughs) Right. I mean, it's, it's just really interesting. There was also the comment that this kind of puts a bad spin on, you know, hiring uh, with the Rudy rule and getting, you know, those. Oh, good point. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's, that's an interesting situation for me with Indianapolis because I have felt team wise, not necessarily staff wise for a long time, that if they get their quarterback, they get a guy that they can trust for years, they'll be a Super Bowl contender with the way their defense is playing. If Jonathan Taylor is able to stick there, could use maybe a few weapons on the outside. Yeah. Um, their offensive line has a ton of talent. They just haven't been playing that way this year. And they've got stop gaps, you know, Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan. These are, these are stop gap guys. These aren't, you know, build a future kind of guys. So it's not the pick that I would have seen as a interim head coach. Um, normally they would, you know, coordinator. Yeah. Someone within the staff yeah. already. So it's definitely interesting, but I think it'll be more interesting to see how they move after this. Yes. Yeah. So also on the 7th, the uh, Commander's Potential Buyers Group is growing. They have added another well-known name. So Jeff Bezos and Jay-Z's bid for Washington has a new potential investor, Matthew McConaughey, (laughs) who is a very well-known actor. (laughs) I know he's a big Texas Longhorns guy. So I... As long as they get it away from Dan Snyder, I don't care. But it'd be interesting to see 
what they do with that franchise when they've all like pulled their money and they you know put their offer in. So that's also an interesting group of guys there. Yeah. <laughs> you go, yeah, you said Jeff Bezos and Jay Z. I was like, that is a weird combo. And now Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> yeah, don't know how they all you know. Don't know what it'd be like in a bar with those. Three, but, yeah. Interesting for sure. On the tenth, the NFL and the Commanders are being sued. Um, Attorney General says that Dan Snyder team and oh, sorry NFL and Roger Goodell colluded to deceive the residents about workplace investigation. So, not good news coming from Washington Commanders anytime soon. <laughs> um, the on the twelfth, it was reported that there may be more NFL games in Germany. So maybe more 630 start times. <laughs> um, Commissioner Roger Goodell says that the league might expand on its current plan to play a game a year over the next four years in the country. So they may be seeing a lot more of football. I know the there. crowd was good. You know, I don't know if you've seen any of the video following it. I did. Uh, yeah, the way the crowd was. I mean, it's, it's nice to see, but it's like, uh, I think the field would be one thing. But then also the travel is another because, you know, you yeah. don't want to just fly in like the day before, be extremely jet lagged. That's what was that? I believe it's a seven hour flight or something like that. Got to be longer. more organized. Um, I believe it's nine hours. Um, I don't know. Something, it's, it's really long. Um, so factor comes into it because I know in the past few weeks, the NFL's talked about, we've, we've cut in on league news, talked about playing more games in London and having a division. In London, in yeah. London. So it's like. That's a little, uh, I don't know. A lot of expansion. I don't see the feasibility. Right. Yeah. Well, we'll revert back to our Seahawks here. They have a regular season standing of six and four, first in the NFC West still. And as you mentioned, they are on a bye week this coming week. So we, rest we'll up. Probably do some looking at midseason stuff yeah. next week. Okay. But yeah, bye week. Nice to get rested, kind of take a step back. Uh, nice to have a later one in the year because you get like week five. It's like, oh, shoot, I've got to play 12 more weeks. Um, but yeah, it just, again, if you told me going into the bye week, we'd be Six first in the four. division and that the Rams would be have a 10% chance to make the playoffs, I would think you're a little bit funny and I might, I might laugh a bit. And they also lost a division game yesterday. Yeah, to Arizona in their own house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and might have lost something even bigger in Cooper Cup's injury. So, <laughs> well, as Chuck mentioned, we're doing things a little different today. Um, we're going to move the Mariner segment a little bit. So we're going to shift right into our storm right now. Um, and we'll go right into, of course, they're in off season. So we're still waiting to hear about what the storm are doing in off season. But some of our storm players are overseas. So we'll go over our storm overseas here. Ezzy Magbegor recently had 18 points, eight rebounds to assist, two steals in a Euro League game against DVTK term on November 19th. Steph Talbot had 18 points, five rebounds, two assists, one steal in a WNB WNBL game against Townsville Fire on November 11th. And Epiphany Prince had 16 points, four rebounds, four assists, two steals in a Turkish Super League game against Kankaya on November 7th. So really good numbers from our Storm players overseas here. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting looking at this list because I know we're still waiting for uh, Stewie, Gabby, and Jontel uh, just tr from tracking uh, on there. But nice to see this stuff. I know Steph's down in Australia. Um you know, with uh, Piff still over there, 
again, still interesting to see that Brie was still playing. But yeah. just kind of keep keep track of this while our, our players are overseas. And, you know, because this is big for, you know, not only for them to get paid more, you know, outside of the WNBA season, but, you know, obviously for like Ezzy getting more of that development, yeah. you know, that hot start to the season. And then it's tough mm-hmm. with Tina Charles coming in, trying to manage that rotation. You know, I, I like the addition of Tina Charles. I know that when we had our off season, we talked, I wanted to bring her in. But I think I'd like to just have stick Ezzy at the five and leave her alone throughout the full season. Okay. You know, because. So then you don't see Tina back in oh, Seattle? Oh, I don't see that in general, you know, <laughs> because with with our Storm Exit interviews, she just didn't show up. Yeah, I do remember that. So I, I wonder, and I know that the goal for her was to win the title and she was looking for that. She joined Connecticut and then they just bombed it this year. Um, came here with us and it was tough. I mean, Vegas, well, I think I told you after that game, uh, after the game, they were eliminated. You know, this is a, the Vegas is probably going to win it all. You know, it's, uh, they looked too good. Oh, not Connecticut. I'm sorry. Uh, um, Tina was with Phoenix. Phoenix. Yeah. I was like, no. And that no. was a salty departure. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot to yeah. that. But, you know, it's, it, Vegas is loaded. You know, that uh, we, we, the storm got a little bit fortunate, uh, in 2020 when they played them in the bubble because they weren't at full strength at that time. You know, you, you could look at the scores and Seattle blew them out and maybe they were the team of destiny and they could have handled them at full strength. But, Vegas, you know, the last few years, you think of Vegas, this is a powerhouse. You know, Asia Wilson is Asia Wilson. Kelsey Plum, the fact that they could at times bring Kelsey Plum off the bench is ridiculous. Jackie Young, I get nightmares still. Yeah. Um, the one that gives me nightmares still is, uh, goodness, um, how can I not remember See, her name right now? Maybe Point guard. Point guard. <laughs> but yeah, that Vegas team is just stacked up and down with talent. And then you look at their coach and Becky Hammond and it's like, this is just ridiculous. What are you going to do? You know? So this is, uh, I mean, they're probably primed to defend their title. Yeah. Upcoming year, you know? So that's why it's even more interesting um, to see what moves we make to. Yeah. And that kind of shifts us over to draft wise. Cause it, it, it's interesting, you know, to see this, what, who we're projected here looks fine. was looking at stats last night. But it's like, how much can you expect a rookie to come in, take over where Sue Bird is? Maybe Produce. not take over where Sue Bird is. Maybe you slide Piff there. Maybe you yeah. bring in another veteran. You know, I was going to hope for Kelsey Plum this offseason. I don't think she's going extension. anywhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah. did she already? Yeah, yeah, during the season last year. I was like, eh. Maybe it's <laughs> Courtney Vandersloot. Maybe she comes to, I know she signed a one-year deal with Chicago last offseason. Yeah. Maybe that's like, okay, I'm going to come back to Chicago, wait for Sue to leave, and then it, we really don't know. Yeah. And we probably won't until we get into more uh, kind of primer free agency here. So, but yes, I guess that's better to look over um, at draft here. The Storm will have the number nine overall selection in round one of the WNBA draft, and Seattle's projected to take guard JC Sheldon out of the. Ohio State. God, I've always wanted to say it like that. <laughs> um, she has a fun fearlessness in her drives to the basket and her opportuni- opportunistic defense. Doing these things gets a lot harder in the WNBA, of course, but last season she averaged 19.7 points per game while shooting 50.4% from the field and recorded almost two steals per game. So you said you were looking at some stats last night yeah, it'd be interesting you know just some of those numbers i know i mean 20 points per game nearly not bad 50 yeah. from the field uh tenacity on defense 
but it's just tough with the WNBA and the roster spots, you know, because it'll probably look different this year. I know Seattle's trying to get a lot of veterans on anyway, mm-hmm. um, but what do we do here? You know, yeah. uh, so it'll be again, this is a very I say this about a lot of off seasons for teams, uh, because it's a lot of them are in key off season. You know, the Sounders coming off of the CCL win, but missing playoffs. How do they rebuild? What do they look like? The Storm, they've only got a few people under contract. Sue Bird retired. Stewie's a free agent. You got Jewel for the next year. Where do you go from here? Where do you go? I'm kind of glad that we sit here behind the table and I'm not in the GM desk because that's a lot of decisions. Seattle's been a powerhouse for years. Uh, The first few years of their existence, you know, tough. And then they added a few teams. You know, you're used to seeing the big three or at least Sue, you know, back then Sue and Lauren Jackson, Sue and uh, Stewie, Sue and Jewel and Stewie. I think I need the consistency of at least Stewie, Stewie and Jewel. Open so. Right. Yeah. Because now that it's not Sue, I mean, this is kind of just hand them the keys to the car. They already kind of had them, but you know, so I give them the deed to the car at this point. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> right. We'll move on to some league notes here on the 11th. It was reported that of course the Indiana fever will have the number one overall pick in the WNBA draft. And here is the first round order for the WNBA draft. Um, Indiana Fever, Minnesota, Atlanta Dream, Washington Mystics, Chicago Sky, New York Liberty, Indiana Fever again, Atlanta Dream again, Seattle Storm with that number nine, um, Connecticut Sun, Dallas Wings, and once again, the Minnesota Leaks. It's interesting there to see Indiana, like they, they have to take Leah Boston, but they've also got a pick there at seven. Atlanta's got two picks in that first round. Minnesota does as well. Those teams are, you know, Minnesota, Sylvia Fowles retired. Um, someone that I wish got more shine with Sue in retirement because Sylvia is an, an excellent legend yeah. of the game and that's its own discussion. But you see some of these teams like Indiana, I'm f- sure in a few years, they'll be really good too. They had high picks last year. Right. Right. So it might be a situation where it's like, we're going to slog through these few years. They'll develop and... I can only imagine. Yeah. So I don't know. Interesting to see that, but we've got our own team to worry about. So yeah, we'll see how that goes. Um, I'm okay with mine. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, well, and then like a few off seasons ago, maybe they trade their first round pick. Yeah. Seattle was able to, they had the number one overall pick at one point and they traded it. And then that trade first, uh, Keaton Samuelson didn't end up work necessarily too much because she ended up being, a, they didn't bring her back, but when, know, interesting. When do you foresee us getting more off-season moves here in a clearer picture? January. That's not too I see far. It picking up then, yeah, because uh, camp is more around May, so probably probably around that. We can get official league calendar here, and I'll look at that. But I think we go quiet for a little bit. And that about wraps us up for the storm. We'll move on to our Sounders who are not in season, but we do still have some important information to report on here. Yeah, our fellas are, uh, some of them at least, are heading to their national teams to go play in Qatar in the World Cup. So, you know, for that sort of stuff, it's tough because the first Team USA game is next Monday around the time that we have to, we come in the studio. It's just like, I guess I'll watch it, but it's like, man, <laughs> I'd like to be at one of these watch parties that the Sounders <laughs> are hosting uh, over at the Armory at Seattle Center, uh, which also, you know, we talk about Seattle Sports World, where the Kraken have one of their team stores. 
regardless. Uh, some details on those watch parties. On the 7th, the club announced watch party details for the U.S. Men's National Team World Cup group stage matches, inviting fans of all ages to join Sounders FC at the Armory at Seattle Center to cheer on the U.S. Men's National Team. Uh, admission is free. I mean, the Armory is always free to come into, at least, uh, with access to interactive games, prize drawings, a variety of food and drink options, and more. Uh, Watch parties are being hosted for all three of the group stage matches, uh, USA versus Wales, Monday the 21st at 11 a.m. Pacific time, USA versus England, that's the big one, uh, Friday, November 25th at 11 a.m., and USA versus Iran, Tuesday, November 29th at 11 a.m. Admission, as I mentioned, is free and provided on a first-come, first-served basis with entry for each match beginning at 9 a.m. So if you plan to drink during these games, it's going to be a long day (laughs) Uh, and continuing until the armory reaches capacity. That's interesting. The armory is a pretty big place. So I, while garage and street parting are available, the Sounders heavily encourage those attending to take public transportation monorail uh, for each party. uh, All armory food and drink locations will be open with an additional beer garden space offered for attendees 21 years of age and older. Additionally, the first 1,500 guests to enter each watch party can receive a Sounders theme World Cup rally towel, while the first 300 Sounders FC season ticket members in attendance at each party will receive an exclusive Sounders theme World Cup long sleeve shirt. Wow. So if you've got, it's tough, you know, with, you know, the, the games being played over in Qatar, the time difference. Right. 11 a.m. on a Monday, you know, 11 a.m. on a Tuesday for the it's Iran tough. match. It's tough. Friday, I'll probably try that one if I've got the time. Monday, I mean, ah, so it's <laughs> tough, but cool to see that. You know, I always like the idea of watch parties, especially like uh, the Mariners doing so uh, for their wild card games mm-hmm. against Toronto at T-Mobile Park. Um, so excited to see that. I'll try to be at least one of those just to see how that goes. So uh, also continuing the World Cup sort of theme here on the ninth. We got the the ninth was when all of the national team rosters were announced. All the twenty six men rosters to see who goes to Qatar for this World Cup, which is really interesting. They had to spend a ton of money in Qatar for this World Cup, in for a ton of things, but also installing air conditioning into the stadium because of how hot it gets right now over there. There's built yeah, but that wasn't already there. No, all of these this is all built from scratch. <laughs> Yeah, it, I, I think I'll find a video and send it to you on how they did this. It's ridiculous. It's, that's its own thing. We're already too late. It's already happening. So um, on the ninth, uh, yes, as I mentioned, the rosters were announced. Defender Nuhu was named to the Cameroon national team roster for the World Cup. The 25-year-old currently has 17 career caps for Cameroon dating back to 2018, as well as six appearances, five starts during the World Cup qualifying matches. He has started all six uh, appearances during Cameroon's Africa Cup of Nations fourth place tournament run in early 22 that really put him on the map. That run is also currently why he might be up for transfer uh, <clears throat> for the Sounders this offseason. So we'll see about that. I mean, if Nuhu continues to play well in this, it might be, might be bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Uh, good for him. That's what you want in a way with the MLS. For the longest time, MLS was like development. It's like, okay, younger guys do well here and then they go off to like Europe. Yeah. It's kind of changing now and you'd like to see that more so we don't lose a lot of our players. But, right. you know, when you're on the world stage and you perform on the world stage, you're going to get you. attention. You're going to get attention. Yeah. Right. So um, in that sort of vein, someone who uh, kind of developed here and did transfer over 
to uh, I believe it was Lester. I believe it was uh, I forgot who it was. I apologize. Jordan Morris did go over to Europe, uh, suffered an injury, came back this year, and his options been picked up for next year. Uh, Jordan Morris and Christian Roldan have been named to Team USA for the World Cup roster. There was uncertainty with these two Sounders here. If they'd make it, they both end up making it, which is really cool to see. Christian, you know, spending a lot of time here throughout uh, his younger career, going to UW. Jordan Morris being born in Mercer Island, so. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen Ted Lasso. Yes. But the, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen it. The I don't know if there was a market marketing team or what, but they uh, paid for billboards in each player's each USA player's home city. Uh, that's like a little encouraging message mm-hmm. from Ted Lasso. That was cool to see. That was really cool to see. I think it's ours for Jordan Morris is in Soto somewhere. So if I've got the time, I gotta Ooh, gotta go check look it at out. it. Yeah. Um, but. Well, with our teams not playing there recently, there's not much reason to go to... No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> so we get back to it. Morris, 28, has 49 appearances and 11 goals for the men's national team, including six during the FIFA quali- uh, the World Cup qualifying matches. The Mercer Island native received his first senior call-up while still at Stanford in August of 2014 and made his debut in a friendly against the Republic of Ireland on November 18th, 2014. Christian Roldan, age 27, has 32 career caps for the men's national team, beating back to his debut on July 13th, 2017, when he uh, played nine, 90 minutes over uh, against Martinique in a CONCACAF Gold Cup match. The University of Washington product has 10 career appearances in Gold Cup action, in addition to his five appearances during the FIFA World Cup qualifying. So really cool to see those players make the national team rosters. I know that there are some uh, across other national teams that, you know, surely would have liked to make this, but uh, we'll cheer on our guys for the U.S., as well as I, I'll keep my eye on Cameroon uh, for new who and we'll, as the World Cup progresses, we'll try to keep an eye on our Sounders players specifically and see what they're able to contribute um, to their homelands, uh, their nations uh, over in Qatar as we are just a, uh, just a week away from qualify, well, from group stage matches, which is pretty exciting to see. World Cup's always a lot of fun. Uh, I always forget about it over the four years, but just I remember in middle school watching it, um, the teachers would just put on games during the day in, in middle school and we'd just watch the World Cup, um, stuff like that. It's, it's a ton of fun, you know. So we look over here to the 10th when the Sounders acquired $100,000 uh, in general allocation money for 2023 from St. Louis SC in exchange for a 2023 international roster slot. Uh, on, on that day, the move brought Seattle's number of 2023 international roster slots to seven as the team continues its offseason preparations. Seattle now has four open international roster slots heading into the 2023 season with three current international players on the roster and A.B. Sissoko, Leo Chu and Yemar Gomez Andrade. Um, the MLS expansion draft did take place for St. Louis over the past week, and none of the Sounders were taken, which was kind of mm. interesting. There were some interesting names on the list. Someone that I selected in the Sounders season review for Defender of the Year, Jackson Reagan, was a prime candidate, didn't get touched. Mm. Uh, some people thought Steph Cleveland would be taken. He's a really solid backup, but St. Louis already has their keeper, so I'm happy with it. Leave my team alone. <laughs> um, but interesting to see that, uh, adding a new face to the league. So. With that, 
being said, uh, we'll move on to our Seattle Kraken, who have hit some bumps in the road here. <laughs> um, they played against the Nashville Predators on the 8th and won 5-1. to one, Very dominant win. Player of the game one is Andre Burakovsky with one goal, two assists, three points, a two plus minus. And our second player of the game was Jordan Everly with two goals, two points, a two plus minus, one and one takeaway. And then uh, the rough patch started <laughs> on November 11th versus the Minnesota Wild. They got shut out. They lost one to zero on the 13th yesterday versus the Winnipeg Jets in their retro jerseys. They lost three to two. Our player of the game there is Brandon Tanev with one goal, one point, a one plus minus, two shots, three hits, one block, and one takeaway. Now, normally you don't do players of the game when we have a loss, but how can you not when Brandon looked like he was all across the board there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you just kept looking down the stat sheet and I kept saying <laughs> shots, hits, block, takeaway. Uh, yeah, that to look over those past two games, um, that one against Nashville put your win streak to five, first time in franchise history. Uh, you play a Minnesota team that you would shut out. Uh, on the road the past week and they shut you out one nothing they're a good team they're hard they're physical they're big um and they beat you one to nothing which is it's fine but you know uh, you'd hope to rebound from that you weren't able to get inside much they made it really hard to get shots on goal um and so the 13th against winnipeg and their reverse retro jerseys they looked they looked a little bit better on offense they just got some unlucky bounces brandon tenev hit the post uh jordan mccann hit the post and had a couple near misses um, and then there was the end of the game. Uh, Seattle was leading two to one with, they had about 30 seconds left and Pierre-Luc Dubois kind of goaded Carson Soucy into a penalty. Uh, but when you look at it, it's it, uh, not to bring up bad memories, but a few weeks ago when the Bills and Packers were playing on prime time, someone said so someone did something and the Packers guy got flagged and you can see Matt LaFleur say they always get the second guy and they always do it. Because purely Dubois kind of jostled with Carson Soucy. Dubois turns around and Soucy punches him in the back of the head. Yeah. Okay. Now I understand why people were upset, though, because people were upset that Soucy yeah. took the bait there. Yeah. And I saw some like, oh, well, well, it was interesting with Coach Dave Haxall after the game because he said, from what my understanding was, he was confused. He said, my understanding was that both guys were going to the box, which changes <laughs> things. Because, you know, with giving them a power play with a few seconds left, they go up the man advantage. If you take both guys off the ice, there's no advantage. It's just right. fewer guys on the ice. Yeah. So that's interesting. But at the end of the day, you can't retaliate. You know, the, the, my dad's always told me that, you know, whenever, you know, like a Seahawk would get a flag when I was watching football early on or that thing with the floor, they always get the second guy. They do, you know. Uh, which is unfortunate, but it's just how it happened. And you can't give up that penalty in that in the game. You gave up eight total penalties in that game. You spent nearly 20 minutes in the penalty box. Uh, it can't happen. Yeah. At the end of the day, that just can't happen. So frustrating for sure. They're two close ones, uh, but definitely, definitely frustrating. And, you know, you're halfway through your six game homestand. Um, you're still third in the division, but you're starting to lose ground here. Right. So. It's always a little tough to um, pick players of the week when there are more losses and wins. But um, you went with Martin Jones. Yeah, we went with our, uh, well, we did it a few weeks ago. Uh, the two players who recently became new fathers. Uh, <laughs> I think 
Jordan already has kids, but Martin became a new dad. Uh, I went with Martin Jones, and this isn't over the next last week necessarily, but just to look at the sort of run that he's been on, as you can see the photo there in the reverse retro, uh, since the 25th of October is a five win, two loss, one overtime loss record with a 936 save percentage was its fifth best in the NHL, a 5.8 goal saved above expected, which is wow. fifth in the NHL, and a 1.64 goal allowed on average, which is first in the NHL in that span, which is, you know, now a few weeks. Right. Uh, this was a guy that, you know, Martin Joe, I sound like Chris Collinsworth. This is a guy. I, <laughs> yeah. Um, he came over from, he played with Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. He'd been a long time San Jose Shark. Uh, my buddy RJ with Emerald City Hockey is kind of when when we signed him when we were all at media uh, during free agency. He kind of goes, unsure about him. Uh, he's really played really well. Uh, and you know when Martin, not Martin, when Philip Gruber comes back from injury, you'll mm -hmm. be able to give him some rest. I'm not yep. starting any controversy. <laughs> I think that's ridiculous. Uh, there have been a lot of guys who have been given a second chance. You know, Will Borgen had a bad year last year. He's been playing a lot better this year. You know, there have been a bunch of guys who the fan base, I believe, really given a second chance. You have to be able to do that for Philip Grubauer. He's been – it's funny with Martin Jones now playing in goal because a lot of the times now if a bad goal happens, the fans are realizing, oh, it's the defense that's giving this up. But they're – you know, whenever we post a – whenever I'm at morning skate and Grubauer is on the ice, they, oh, it's not a good sign. I'm like, come on, man. You got to be able, what is this great? Yeah. And when I get sort of more casual fans that talk to me about the crack and they go, that goalkeeper sucks. I'm like, no, you got to watch the games, dude. You got to watch the games. Because if I had a whiteboard and I sit here or one of those video boards, you know, when we break down the play and I can circle the guy, I'm like, look at this turnover. That's the only reason, you know, you free up a guy, you give the puck back right in front of your goal, stuff like that. You know, I know that there are some where, yes, Gruby is uh, a mistake, but that's with goalkeeping, whether it's in hockey or in soccer, you're going to give up goals at some point. It's going to happen. Sometimes they just beat you. It's the guys, like with the goal saved above expected, uh, you know, for Martin Jones, it's not being able to put your goalkeepers in those bad positions right. more than they need to be. So I'm, I I wish people would give Gruby more of a, of a, some leeway and some respect here because it's just disappointing. You don't want to see guys you know, who are trying to work back from injury, people saying, oh, great, you know, and they're just making bad comments. It's just ridiculous. I just think it's ridiculous. So, Well, fatherhood looks good on Martin Jones on the ice right now. <laughs> um, like you said, he's doing really well. He This is his second week on our Players of the Week list. So um, I went with, I know I always reward consistency, so that's very on par here. Um, Jordan Eberly, who had three goals and three points in those three games. So that was, yeah, that was my thought process there is he scored on both games. So Eberly was different. a guy that early in the season, I, I said it again, uh, that I was <laughs> waiting for some of that production and he's looked a lot like this game, this past game when he scored, I'm like, all right. And then he had some plays afterwards, like in the next few shifts, I was like, all right, this guy's ready to go. Yeah. So he's, he's, he's looking better. He's one of the more veteran guys on this team, uh, part of that leadership group and he's been playing like it. So that's good to see as well. That wraps up our players of the week. So we'll move on to some injury news here. And as you've mentioned, we have news on Philip Grubauer. He was on the ice for optional morning skate on the eighth, uh, as well as this past game. Uh, so he's been, he's been there this last game. He was actually doing exercises for the first time that I've seen less 
uh, the Abe's there. He was on the ice, but when I arrived for morning skate, he had he was probably just wrapping up. Yeah. His, which is interesting. I'm like, oh man, I wanted to see what was going on. <laughs> he did some actual goalie practice this past week, but the last uh, a few days ago, he was actually put on long term IR, which is interesting because IR in hockey is different. You know, you think about IR in the NFL, it's like you're losing this guy for, for half weeks. a season. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, a good amount of time. Here, uh, this was more of a cap space move mm-hmm. because I have Jonas Donskoy on IR, Chris Drieger on IR, and I grew by that's a lot of money on IR. Those yeah. It's like starting caliber guys. Right. So I believe this is just a cap space move, but it seems like he's starting to get back to some point. Martin Jones is holding down the fort right now, but you don't want to overwork a goalkeeper no. like Grubauer was last year. Um, you don't <laughs> want to just, you know, it's every night Jones is getting out there. But so. Some positive news. I don't care what people say on that regard. Um, <laughs> good to see that. This yeah, next one sure. was not as positive. You lose a guy that, yeah, this is a tough loss, and I don't know how long he'll be out. Yeah. Jamie Alexiak has sustained a lower body injury and will miss the game versus the Wild. Has so, not been back. Did miss the game versus the Wild. Um, he well, and, suffered uh, the injury against the Predators. Oh, and there's no report on, yeah. Didn't see him for morning skate. You know, yeah, uh, he got placed on IR later in the day. It was interesting against the Predators because he didn't play the entire third period, and we just we heard lower body, and that's all. Again, that's all we get. Hockey. Yeah, <laughs> um, he's a guy that you know. Uh, I did it again. He, he's <laughs> able to be a big presence on the defensive end of the things. He's a veteran guy, and he's able to move the puck up the ice too. With some of the people that we've had taking his spot in the roster, they haven't. You know, Kale Flurry did some solid stuff. Kosova Lobson, who played last night, was uh, the word the kids used is mid. Um, <laughs> but they don't bring that puck up the ice. Don't bring, they don't add that offensive attack. I talk about putting shots on net. You know, without Alexiak, you haven't, you know, he adds that. He continues to add that from the defensive side of things as well uh, on that second defensive line. So, and it's a tough loss, and we have no idea. And I don't know what the extent of that is, which is unfortunate. Updates will be reported as we receive them on. We'll move on to some team news here on November 10th. The team claimed Magnus Helberg off of waivers. They also recalled defenseman Gustav Olofsson from the Coachella Valley and reassigned goaltender Joey Decord to the Coachella Valley. Any thoughts on those moves? Uh, I don't know if you remember Helberg, but he had the really cool pads. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so he gets brought back because Ottawa placed him on waivers. They're, they did this move so the court could go back to Coachella and sort of keep him down there because they don't want to put him on waivers and expose him to potentially being picked up. They want they want to keep Joey around is the yeah. point. And so they've got more of a, a, a veteran backup now for Jones and Helberg and someone who spent time here in the preseason. Uh, Olafson only came up because of Alexiak on IR. So Helberg's a cool guy. Seeing him in practice lately and seeing him in the locker room yesterday. He was talking with a few members of the media saying that when he left Seattle, there were guys online saying, hey, can I get your pads? You know, <laughs> uh, he gets to use them again, which is cool. But So he didn't give them away. <laughs> yeah, well, they were back out there. But uh, it was funny that uh, someone was saying that when we play Ottawa, that he should wear one pad uh-huh. Seattle and one pair Ottawa. That would be uh, At least during morning skate. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, some of the equipment in this game is really cool. So well, make sure to get a picture of that if that's actually seen at Morningscape. On I'll do my best. <laughs> we'll move on to some league news here. On the 10th, PK Subban is headed to ESPN. Longtime NHL defenseman Norris Cup winner 
PK Subban, is joining the network as an analyst. On the 11th, it was reported that the World Cup of Hockey is postponed. The NHL union announced that the international tournament scheduled for February will be delayed for at least one year. On the 12th, the NFLPA called out for turf change. Oops. That's in the wrong section. Oops. But do you want to go over that? <laughs> sure. I mean, that, that just goes back to what we were talking about with, you know, player safety. That's on me. I put that. In the wrong <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. What are you saying? That's on me. Um, but yeah, I have players. Anyway, rolling off my mouth. <laughs> wants NFL to ban slit film turf to increase player safety. Someone made a comment the other day I heard. Um, I was actually yesterday at the Armory before the Kraken game. Uh, Phil Dixon, uh, he works with the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Uh, you can see where this is transcending from baseball to football. <laughs> Hockey, he, football, baseball. Yeah, but with the turf and the grass. <laughs> yeah. He said he heard from a player, if a horse can't eat it, I don't want to play on it, which is interesting. Turf, I, with all these injuries, you know, with the Seahawks going to L.A., playing SO5 Stadium, uh, some of the players going to the Rams, seeing a lot of – and this has happened over the course of years too. You know, Joey Bosa, I believe, last year, a few years ago, same thing. He, uh, Joey, no, Nick, Nick, Bosa. Nick with the yeah. Niners. Yeah. So it's this is a consistent thing. Pete Carroll talked about it a few weeks ago with the Seahawks and Lumen Field, which will be big because they'll have to do so for the World Cup anyway when they host it in twenty six. But yeah, really, really interesting to see this. But to look at some of the hockey news, uh, <laughs> Subban, that's really great to see. You know, with with, you know, I talked about it with Everett Fitzhugh on our interview here in the Black Media Matters studio, uh, having so limited black presence in hockey, you know, having Subban as an analyst is great. It's great to see have his face on TV. You know, I talked with this uh, with uh, Council President Juarez yesterday when we talked about, you know, indigenous people uh, in hockey and, you know, having Jackie McCormick honored representation is big everywhere, because if I see a player on the ice in hockey, you know, but uh, that's great. But if I don't go pro, knowing that there are people in different aspects of these sports, like with Subban as an analyst now, yeah, front office, you know, different stuff like that. Representation matters all the time. It does. And that's that's that there. World Cup of Hockey. Come on. A year? Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's unfortunate. That's just unfortunate. That's a long time. Yeah. We'll get back to our Kraken here. They have a 8-5-3 and three record. They're third in the Pacific and have 19 points currently in the season. Looking ahead, they will face the New York Rangers on the 17th. That's a 7 p.m. puck drop. And then on the 19th versus the LA Kings, also a 7 p.m. puck drop. And we move over to our OL Rain, who are once again not in season, but we still have news. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, like with the Sounders uh, offseason preparations, quote unquote, the Rain are preparing as well. They've uh, extended last week, they extended Quinn through 2024, I believe it was, or it might have been two weeks ago. Uh, this week on the 8th, the team extended defender Sam Hyatt to the 2024 season. Uh, Hyatt said, I am so proud to continue representing and playing for my home state team. Winning the Shield at Lumen was a dream come true, but I know we have bigger goals in mind, so I can't wait to return next season and contribute to our success. It's always been an honor and a privilege to play for the Reign. Hyatt, in her third season with the club, started in all 19 games, playing for a total of 1,710 minutes. 
tied for the second most played on the team with former standout teammate, uh, Stanford teammate, pardon me, Alana Cook. The 24-year-old led the reign in appearances with 81 uh, clearances, pardon me, finishing the season ranked 10th in the league. Additionally, Hyatt finished third on the team in successful passes and registered 58 duels, won the third most among reign defenders. Uh, I'm biased because Hyatt's Filipino and I'm Filipino mm-hmm. and she's a local product. So this is awesome. Um, <laughs> again, representation, you know, yeah. like with hockey, there's like one Filipino player in the league and it's Jason Robertson and he might be one of my more favorite players with this, you know, seeing someone who is a local product, who is Filipino, you know, uh, that's really cool to see, but not only that, but knowing that, you know, we went over the stats there, 24 years old, uh, already part of a great pairing in the center back role with Alana Cook. You know, locking up this back line is big. Uh, it's interesting to see this back line because if we look at the center backs, I just talked about Hyatt. Cook is also really young and is going to be a, a, a big part of the U.S. Women's National Team as well and already has been. But you look on the outside back side of things, Sofia Huerta, already a big part of the Women's National Team. Uh, playing outside back is big. I remember when I did an interview with her in 2021, she was playing more of a midfield, midfield forward role, and mm-hmm. she talked about playing outside back. And then halfway through the season, she changed. So yeah. have that's pretty cool. <laughs> um, and with Lou Barnes on the outside, someone who's your captain, someone who wears the captain's armband, um, also has that veteran presence, uh, just a steady, steady player. To have that back line and locked up is big. You know, in these sports, you want to, I'd like to have defense locked up, defense wins championships, that old football adage. Uh, good, just good to have that locked up because, you know, you've got that back line of four there and then you've got Fallon Tillis Joyce locked up and you've just got a really solid group of people protecting your net. So really happy with that. Um, I wouldn't, you know, this is also an interesting offseason for the rain as well, coming off of, you know, winning the shield, but losing in the semifinal again, still not being able to make that hump right. uh, of the end of title. They've got a lot of talent in this roster and I believe the talent on this roster can win it all. I just wonder, you know, I'm I'm always a better safe than sorry guy. What if you do bring in someone with uh, the first ever NWSL free agency taking place this offseason? Do you bring someone in to take you over the edge, you know, put you over the top you know, just for safe measure, right? Better to have more than to have less. I'm, I'm really intrigued to see if that's something that plays out, um, if that's something that we get to look at. But I don't know. I, I, I feel like there's not a lot of extreme measure needed to be taken uh, with right. this roster to get there. I, I, I think it's more of a, most of it's not broken, but feel free to add some stuff to upgrade. So that's where I stand with that. And I'm happy that uh, they've been extended, but I know we'd switch over to uh, dragons announced the XFL announced draft dates, but I uh, just got this news a little bit ago. The Seawolves, the MLR season schedule drops tomorrow. Oh. So we'll be able to know uh, more of a plan when we can get back to our Seawolves, get back to coverage for that, kind of start planning things out, throwing things in the calendar. So that's good to know. Yeah. You know, we were waiting on that. We're like, oh, we don't know, maybe February. Uh, so that'll be exciting to see. And I'm hoping to hear more about that expansion team. I still don't know. But... We'll look over here uh, with our dragons, our sea dragons. I have to add, I mean, it's so cool. <laughs> uh, the XFL draft dates were announced. So they'll take place in Las Vegas from November 15th through 17th, with the 16th being the first official day of the draft. 1,700 players will vie for 500, excuse me, 28 training camp spots 
then there will only be 400 active player roster spots. So it's going to be, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a tight spot. So I guess yeah. I won't show up for tryouts. Uh, day <laughs> one will be broken into four positional groupings with 11 rounds of selections for each grouping. Offensive skill positions at wide receiver, running back, tight end, and fullback. Defensive backs, cornerback, safety, nickel. Defensive front seven, offensive line. Day two will then feature specialists, kicker, punter, long snapper, followed by open rounds for all available positions. Uh, supplemental draft for players currently, this is interesting, under contract with another professional football league. Who could that be? <laughs> oh, I, I <laughs> will occur uh, in early 2023, so probably a little bit uh, later. Yeah. Um, XFL football operations will conduct a virtual lottery, which took place today to determine the order for the draft and additional league personnel. Each team will be present and represented. So Seattle has the sixth overall pick in the first draft, which it was first round, which isn't bad. No, not bad. That's not bad. I'll dig it. Um, just really interesting to see. I'm more interested to see what players are going to be available. Who's going to put their ring uh, hat in the ring, whether it's like former college standouts who never made it big in the NFL. Ooh, that's Guys, a good point. There was a player in the XFL this last time around who opted out of uh, playing college, some college time out of his eligibility, but there and played XFL ball. And I think he, he got an NFL contract. I don't remember the name. I apologize. Hmm. Um, but it's interesting to see because, again, the XFL and the NFL do want to work on a partnership, another professional football league. Um, it is interesting to see PJ Walker with the Panthers, XFL. He was going to be one of the, like, he was like MVP front runner, you know? So it'll be really interesting to see um, who's playing in this league, you know? It'll, I'll, I'll like to keep track of that. So uh, that is that for, um, sea dragons and now we have our pretty hefty manner segment that i will try to work through as best i can um and i'll work through that bell's got to run but it's uh it's all good news luckily there's nothing nothing too negative to look at here so we'll get into mariners immediately to try to pound through this um julio rodriguez surprise surprise was named an al rookie of the year finalist um the 21 year old led major league rookies and homers b war F4, slugging percentage, OPS, WRC+, total bases, ranking second in runs, third in hits, second in RBIs, second in extra base hits, second in stolen bases. And the list could go on. Uh, overall, he batted at 284 with 84 runs, 25 doubles, three triples, 28 homers, uh, 28 homers, yes, 75 RBIs, 25 stolen bases, 40 walks, getting on base at a 345 clip, slugging 509 with an 853 OPS, in 132 games. He missed 21 of those with a pair of sins on the 10 day injured list. Uh, Julio has already been named the baseball America major league rookie of the year, the sporting news, American league rookie of the year and the player's choice awards, AL outstanding rookie in 2022. So it's kind of a foregone conclusion, essentially what's going to take place. The official award is announced later today. Um, by the time that this episode goes live, that will already have been announced. We'll have a, graphic for that obviously um i, I i'm kind of going ahead and saying it but i i, I just kind of doubt it'll be anybody else no disrespect to adley rutschman or stephen kwan but julio is going to be one of the bright bright stars of baseball for years to come uh he was named to the al all-star team the only rookie all-star in 2022 
he became the third managed player, age 21 or younger, to be named the All-Star, uh, joining Ken Griffey Jr., who did it twice, and Alex Rodriguez, who did it twice. He participated in the MLB Home Run Derby, hitting the most homers total and finishing in second place to Juan Soto. He became the first player with 25 homers and 25 stolen bases in his season debut in his debut season in MLB history, as well as the fastest to do so, uh, surpassing Mike Trout by three games. If Julio were to win this award, he would be the fifth Mariner to win AL Rookie of the Year, joining Alvin Davis back in 1984, Kazuhiro Sasaki in 2000, Ichiro Suzuki in 2001, and Kyle Lewis back in 2020. So, after all of those words, if you don't understand how special of a talent Julio Rodriguez is, maybe something else to put it in perspective. Everybody here should know who Ken Griffey Jr. is. Throughout the majority probably the outright majority of the MLB season at T-Mobile Park, I saw more 44 jerseys than 24 jerseys. Uh, I don't need to say much more than that. So uh, also on the uh, awards slate, manager Scott Service was named and the AL manager, uh, an AL manager of the year finalist. And I'm hoping that he finally wins it this year after being in the running last year as well. Service led the Mariners to 90 wins and a postseason berth this year, finishing the regular season with a 90 win 72 loss record for the second straight year, uh, 90 wins in both 2021 and 2022 service became the only, uh, only the second Mariners manager in club history to lead Seattle to back-to-back 90 win seasons. He joins Lou Pinella, sweet Lou, who managed the Mariners to three consecutive 90-win years in 2000, 2001, and 2002. After the Mariners had a slow start to the season that left the Mariners with a 29-39 and record on June 20th, Seattle would go on a 61-33 and run uh, over the remainder of the year. That 649 winning percentage was second best in the AL during that span and featured a 14-game win streak, uh, just one game shy of the franchise record win streak at 15. <clears throat> excuse me, from July 2nd through 17th. With Scott Service at the helm, the Mariners had the knack for winning close games, including the most one-run wins in MLB at 34, 13 walk-off wins tying a franchise record, an 11-5 record in extra innings, which is the best win percentage in the American League, and 40 comeback wins at third in the AL. Through seven seasons since Scott took over as the manager in 2016, wait, what did I say? Seven, pardon me. Uh, Seattle leads Major League Baseball in both one-run wins at uh, 189 and one-run winning percentage at 573. He has compiled 528 managerial wins and 512 winning percentage during that span, both ranking second best in franchise history, only behind Lou Pinella. If he were to win this award, he will join Lou Pinella, who did it in 95 and 2001, as the only other managers manager to bring home the award. And I do believe he should win it. The other two uh, managers that were in this contest are uh, Orioles manager, who Brandon Hyde, I believe his name is, and the Tampa Bay Rays manager. So two other teams that didn't make the playoffs. I think it should be Scott. You know, it's, I, I have to admit, I was on the fence about Scott a few years ago, back in 2020 and 2019. I was like, I don't know if this is the guy that leads you to the postseason. He's proven me wrong. He's got a great respect in this clubhouse, in this locker room. And it, it yeah, all of my doubts that I had about Scott are gone. So that's my opinion on that. We look over to some ticketing news. Uh, the Mariners announced new value options for the 2023 season. The team announced that beginning next year, fans will have the opportunity to purchase $10 center field bleacher tickets every regular season home game. The announcement doubles down on the commitment 
to make Mariners baseball more accessible. Uh, also, in addition to this, the J-Rod squad section will stick around all year in celebration of Julio Rodriguez's breakout season. The Mariners are putting a new twist on the popular J-Rod squad uh, seating section, which was introduced last year. The $25 special will include a limited edition J-Rod squad shirt and general admission ticket for any seat in sections 102 through 104. So it's a first come per serve basis. This general admission section located directly behind where the AL Rookie of the Year frontrunner plays defense in center field was created to make socializing easier while creating a unique fan experience. Preseason uh, presale for these single game tickets begins on November 22nd for the general public. If you are a Mariners text uh, subscriber and a Mariners season ticket holder, you do get earlier access, as well as those who are actually living uh, in the King County area do get earlier access as well. Another thing that was announced just today, the pen will be open to the general public, all 81 home games. I know this is something that people were upset about throughout the year that, you know, people had rented out the pen and there was only a few people in there not watching the game. So the pen will be a little bit more active throughout the entirety of the regular season and the postseason uh, next year. We go to the GM meetings uh, where Jerry DePoto has some comments about the team on the eighth the team was interested in Japanese star Kode Senga. Seattle views the Japanese star as an impact pitcher and they plan to reach out to him. Uh, he has a 2.59 career ERA in the NPB. Uh, also in the eighth, Julio Rodriguez was voted as the Baseball Digest AL Rookie of the Year. The team will add relief pitcher Prelander Baroa to the 50-man, 40-man uh, roster, pardon me, to protect him from the Rule 5 draft. A handful of other players will be added as well, but they have not been informed yet. Uh, Jesse Winker had knee and neck surgeries, and the hope is that he can start swinging a bat in January. Made a comment about J.B. Crawford saying that our preference is that he plays shortstop because I think he's a good shortstop and all of the things that I said at the end of the year wrap-up remain true today. We'd like him to be our shortstop for the foreseeable future. They won't offer Mitch Hanniger a qualifying offer, but they are engaged in trying to bring him back for next season. DePoto confirmed that Cal Raleigh underwent a procedure on his broken left thumb, but did not have details on that recovery. Andres Munoz also had foot surgery. On the 9th, he stated that the team plans to have Matt Brash come to spring training stretched out as a starter for depth purposes, but will move him back to the bullpen if the Romation remains healthy and unchanged. Chris Flexen has drawn plenty of trade interest at the trade deadline and continues to be asked about. Seems likely that Flexen could be moved in a package of players to get a position player. Uh, one team that's been interested has been Colorado. Marco Gonzalez has also been mentioned in trade discussions as well. Uh, some roster moves were also made that day. Left-handed pitcher Gabe Spire was claimed off of waivers from the KC Royals. Red-handed pitcher Easton McGee was acquired from the Boston Red Sox for cash considerations. Left-handed pitcher Ryan Barucki was cleared uh, waivers and elected free agency. And Casey Sadler cleared waivers and elected free agency as well after being the Mariners' top reliever statistics-wise in 2021. Continuing over to, I told you there's a lot of stuff to go over. On the 10th, uh, five Mariners are eligible for all MLB honors, which is a voted upon accolade. Uh, Julio Rodriguez, Eugenio Suarez, Cal Raleigh, Eric Swanson, and Andres Munoz are all eligible to be voted to the all MLB team. That is still available. Uh, the Mariners have tweeted out that link. Um, so go and vote for our Mariners. Uh, we go to the 10th year and perhaps some little more exciting news. Uh, Julio Rodriguez won the AL Silver Slugger Award. The 21-year-old won the award alongside fellow outfielders Aaron Judge and Mike Trout. Julio ranked third among outfielders in B-War, tied for fifth in homers, tied for third in stolen bases, third in slugging percentage, third in OPS. He batted at a 285 clip, 
284, pardon me, with 84 runs, 25 doubles, uh, all this stuff that we already went over. The 21-year-old fielder is the second Mariners rookie to win a Silver Slugger Award, joining Ichiro Suzuki in 2001. Julio is tied as the second youngest Mariners player to win a Silver Slugger Award with Ken Griffey Jr. at 21, but he is older than Alex Rodriguez, who won it at age 20. I don't see Adley Rushman or Stephen Kwan winning a Silver Slugger Award. Again, this continues to help Julio's uh, chances. On the 13th, the team reportedly has done extensive scouting uh, work on outfielder uh, Masataka Yoshida. The Mariners have done extensive work on the Japanese outfielder and will reportedly be one of his top suitors this winter, which is interesting to hear. Wrapping up uh, team news here on the... Over the past week, the Mariners have announced their 2023 spring training schedule. Uh, they will play 10 games in Peoria as we put the entirety of the schedule here. Friday, March 18th at the Padres is a 110 start. Saturday, uh, March 19th versus the Dodgers is a 110 start and will be televised on Root Sports. Sunday, March 20th will be versus the Angels at 110. Tuesday, March 22nd versus the Cubs is 110 as well and being televised on Root Sports. Friday, the 25th versus the Red White Sox at 640. Monday, the 28th versus the Rangers at 110. Uh, and then all of these games, uh, including the one I just stated, are all on Root Sports. The March 29th game versus the Royals at 110. March 31st versus the Guardians at 640. April 2nd versus the Brewers at 640, uh, as well as April 4th versus the Diamondbacks at 110. So you can see here the full spring training schedule. If you need to, feel free to pause it and take a look at it. Um, and, you know, I don't want to put out too much right now, but... Um, you know, obviously with our, our Mariners here, you saw that we had coverage of our ball club all season long and uh, CSS on Converge might be joining you for spring training. So keep an eye on out for that. But that's not for a few months. So we look over to league related news on the 7th. Uh, some headlines around baseball, Red Sox shortstop Xander Bogarts and my prime uh prime signing uh, amongst the free agent shortstops and Mets pitcher Jacob DeGrom officially opted out of their deals, testing free agency. Uh, Angels, Angels GM Perry Menzazian says that Shohei Otani is not going anywhere this offseason and will not be traded, but several GMs around the league don't believe that's true. And the Phillies declined option on second baseman Gene Segura, former Mariner. On the 10th, the Astros, just a few days after celebrating their World Series title, fired both their general manager and their assistant GM. GM James Click rejected the team's one-year contract after and will not return. So immediately after that World Series takes place, these roster moves, uh, roster moves free agency and the NF MLB offseason really kick into gear. And who knows, by the time that we come to you next week, we'll obviously have news about whether or not Julio won Rookie of the Year, but we could have more stuff relating to the team as well. So apologize for going a little bit over our normal times here. Uh, glad to have Bill back in studio for the large majority of the week. Um, we're going to wrap up here really quickly. I apologize. Our uh, star of the week, Martin Jones. I mean, he continues just to go back to what we said in the Kraken segment, continues to be excellent in that. Uh, just a stand-up, great goalkeeper. Wish the team was able to put him in more winning positions. A new father as well, and just continues to honestly overplay expectations. So, that's our start of the week, but we got to get us out of here. So uh, our Seahawks will get their bye week this upcoming week, and we'll look at some half-year uh, sort of awards and uh, stats for them. The Kraken have a busy week. Uh, it's only two games, but they're playing some good teams in New York and L.A., um, and a bunch of our off-seasons continue to roll on. So until we see you next week, do whatever you can to make today a great day.
Converge Media produces culturally relevant content for Black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.